0: Welcome to Elevate, I'm so happy you're here with me today and I cannot wait to share this episode with you. As an evidence-based coach, mentor, and entrepreneur, I'm obsessed with learning and personal development as it's transformed my entire life, as well as those I get to work with. And to be quite frank, it's literally the entire reason this podcast exists, to fuel your growth, gain perspective, and acquire knowledge. So buckle up, friends, you're in for a treat. And as always, Thank you for supporting me and the show so we can continue to elevate our own lives as well as those you share this with. Now, let's get into it. What's going on, guys? And welcome back to another episode of Elevate. So you guys might notice I don't have my awesome podcast set up. I am in Tennessee right now, but we still, the show must go on. So I just wanted to intro this video really quickly. I have a great conversation with Josh. We're going to talk right off the jump about telehealth, how that works, building those relationships and picking up the up on the missing information uh, that you might not be able to assess when you're online versus in person. He's going to share some shattered assumptions, becoming aware of your filters, awareness to change belief patterns, areas of confidence, different phases in life. And you guys know my Achilles heel, online dating and making the right choice. So if you want all the juicy stuff, then you got to stay until the end. Uh, Before we get into this episode, I just wanted to ask you guys that if you guys like the podcast and you enjoy it, please make sure you subscribe, share it. Tag me in on Instagram and of course, all of your feedback and the things that you guys want to see matters to me. So let me know, but enjoy the episode. I am curious because I've been thinking about this. Like, I like that there's telehealth services and I like that you can meet with clients online, but my curiosity would be around the connection that you can cultivate with somebody. It has to feel different in person.
1: It does. It does. But it's so—it's really interesting, and I wonder if I can even put this to words or explain kind of what my experience is with it. In the very beginning, like when the pandemic hit, and all of a sudden we were all using this all the time, Mm -hmm. it was exhausting uh, because we were not used to it, and so it was the added stress of how do I get it set up, and like, can you hear me, and what if this person can't do it or that person, like. And then when we finally got talking, people, one, would look at their own video all the time. Like there was that self-consciousness of the like, what do I look? Because before that, how often do you see yourself having a conversation? When you're in person, it's not like there's the person you're talking to in a mirror next to them where you're – like that would be very distracting. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning, people would look at their own video and everybody held themselves really stiff because they Mm -hmm. wanted to like stay in frame and they were – like – So all of a sudden it was way more work because, you know, I couldn't like read people's expression or like people would be like, things have been very difficult. And then they'd be like checking their, you know, like their own video. But once everybody kind of got used to it, most people have like an actual setup now. And so they've figured out what's comfortable and they've figured out how it, and so then all of a sudden people kind of, we hit like a saturation point. People don't really look at their own video anymore. They don't really care. They're like not paying I just feel attention like, to it.
0: No, I get that. But I feel like a lot of, a lot of the time, and I feel like it's probably a skill that you pick up on once you work with somebody enough, you can kind of sort out their mannerisms maybe. But like if I'm sitting in person with somebody, like one thing I do when I'm anxious is I pick at my fingernails, mm-hmm. but you wouldn't be able to pick that up if you can't see my fingernails, right? Or if I'm somebody that like nervously taps my foot or if I'm anxious about something or something's bothering me and I'm one of those people that taps my feet. It's like there's so much body language that you don't – you cannot assess through a screen that I think might actually make the therapeutic job more difficult because now you're only looking at what they present on their face. And if they're someone who's like very stoic, then that would be a very difficult way to read what they're saying versus what they're signaling to you.
1: Yeah, and you still get a lot of body language. I mean, you definitely miss out on certain things, but – Right, like it just shifts. Right, I've already learned to be able, like you can tell if somebody's fidgeting. If you're sitting at a desk, you fidget differently. Hmm. Right, so like I, I will notice if like I have little fidgets all over my desk. So like randomly, I'll be talking and like so if somebody's talking and they and they're in the middle of talking and they're like and then this happened and they have something in their hand. I'm like okay, I like I can tell that they're fidgeting with something or if they're looking around or they're like there's definitely for for some people, for some particular issues, for how they present, for sure, for some people being in person in a, like, kind of safe, enclosed place that is not home, you know, that's, like, great, like, especially if you want to talk about a relationship or a roommate or a parent or a sibling, if you're in the house, even if nobody's there, some party worries, like, like, what if? What are the, pot, like, So if there's an environmental issue where it's like, honestly, it's helpful to leave, get out of the house, go there and have like a different or safe space where, you know, you can't be overheard. But even that, like we've already started to figure out workarounds. I I had a patient I worked with who, when the pandemic hit, she was like, I'm just not, she was like, I want to meet in person. I don't, let's wait and see right. When we thought it was going to be like two weeks and uh, and then ultimately what we figured out was she just needed a totally safe contained place. So she started getting in her car and using the same time she would have had to use to commute. She, she didn't just stay in her driveway. She would go to her favorite coffee shop, pick up a coffee. There's like a reservoir right by her house. And that looks out at like a pretty view. She would park. She got like one of those little silicone stands for her phone in the car And she's like, so instead of using that time to commute to my office, she got to go get a coffee and like sit in a, with a nice view and she felt safe and separated and like, and then afterwards. So she kept the same amount of time. Like she was like, well, normally I would have been out of the house for probably about two and a half hours for an hour appointment. You know, it turns into this like, right, but it's a half hour to get there and it's a half hour to get back. And if there's traffic and like, So for some people that was a barrier to therapy Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden they're like, well, I can't carve out two to two and a half hours, or then I can only find a therapist that's half an hour away from work or home. Now that limitation is gone. And a lot of people can block an hour out of their schedule and don't have to tell anyone. So for a lot of people, their options were no therapy or telehealth. And for my patient, she was like, I need that buffer in the front and the buffer like afterwards and now all of a sudden she's like, right, I get the same, you know, kind of, kind of time away from home and away from. So I think for a lot of people, it's the cost benefit. And it's like, yep, they would like maybe in an ideal situation to be in person. But if it means you can get a therapist, that's more your speed or your style, because you now have a larger area that. So if you could basically see somebody that, isn't the best fit, but is close by. And then you get the in-person or you can see somebody that's really a good fit, less of an overall time, you know, issue commit. I think for a lot of people, it balances out. Like, and I still have some people who are like, nah, I just, I would rather be in person, but.
0: I try to, cause whenever something changes, I always try to play like the net positive or net negative of it. And mm -hmm. so for me, like there's, I think that there's power in presence. I I genuinely believe that. And I also think that there's power in like, I understand the concept of traffic and time and all those things. But when you are committed to showing up in person for something, I also think that you probably value that experience a little bit more. Right. Whereas if I know I can be late, I can show up or not show up. I can cancel at any given moment. It's it's easy to just like you know. I think there's it's a double edged sword for me. I I think overall it's a net positive because people will seek out more help more regularly and be able to connect with a variety of people to be able to find the best fit for them. Which I know from my own experience when I went to therapy when I was younger, um, I only went to the person that was local because that's who you could get and they weren't a great fit for me. So I understand the argument on both sides. I just I. I was curious on your perspective because you've done it both ways. And so I don't know if you, I guess as far as like the benefit per the client, if there's one that's that seems to be more effective as the of the overall experience that you have with them.
1: Yeah. And the other I think part it about it's... it too is,
0: is like, because I'm so empathetic, if somebody like I have sales calls all the time and it's funny that you say it that way because it makes sense to me. Like I will speak to women who will leave their house to have conversations with me, mm-hmm. right? Because they feel more comfortable not having somebody in within you know an in, in arm's reach of them. Um, but I don't. If somebody gets upset, I just want to hug them. Like that's one of the hardest things for me. Is like when somebody you know shares their story with me or their circumstances, it can be very emotional. Most people that I talk to they end up crying at some point during our calls, and it's like you can't. You cannot do anything but say something. And then it's like, well, what is the appropriate thing to say? Because you need to validate their experience, but you want to comfort them so much that you can't just go put a hand on them or like touch that you can't hug them. You can't, you know, that's where it's like the, the connection piece of it for me is, is probably the most personally difficult aspect of at least the consultations that I do at this point in my career.
1: Well, uh, it's, it's interesting because I'd say I have a little bit of a cop-out answer, I can't say one is better than the other because it really depends. It depends on the individual. It depends on the topics and issues. It depends on the therapist. Like, so really it's kind of a, like, I'm not trying to give a, just like, you know, it's more choices and more options. And so for the people who are like, Hey, maybe I, in a perfect world, I'd prefer to be in person, but that's not available. Now, all of a sudden it's available. For somebody who says, hey, the stress, because that's, uh, I've had tons of people who basically say the stress of having another thing on their schedule that they have to work around, to like outweighs the benefit, which is why they stop therapy. And they're just like, Mm -hmm. I can't, it's too much work. So for that person, again, what they're up against isn't a telehealth versus not. It's just a, all of a sudden, you know, a 45, 50 minute, 60 minute appointment takes like an hour appointment takes an hour. And so it's different for everybody. Also, the type of work that we're doing, right, Um, it has different rules. And so the funny thing is, you know, I've also learned like not everybody wants a hug. (laughs) Not everybody wants physical contact. For some people, there's fear of that. So for some people, if they are coming in for therapy and they want to be able to open up, but what makes them feel comforted is actually not traditional comforts, right? If they don't, so for those kind of like, for some people, it's more impactful because they're like, I'm in my safe zone. I'm in my complete safe space. I have told like, there's no unknown. I know there's, and I no longer have to worry about that. I no longer have to worry about the like, am I shaking my foot? I no longer have to worry about, you know, is there a possibility that like somebody would come over and give me a hug. Am I worried about like all of a sudden for some people that's actually a protective factor.
0: So I would okay, so I think if I were to be able to study this which I don't know that I would ever be able to, but I would I would probably guess that people self-select yeah. what they perceive to be the best option for them. But then I have another question. So I think that sometimes No, I would say all the time. Like when you're working with somebody, not that everybody's like this, but there are certain types of people, right? And there may even be like a condition for that. But because I think a lot of people mislead themselves in certain things sometimes. And so when you're working with somebody, right, you want to understand and objectively, you know, there's always two sides to any story or situation. And so the difficulty then lies in like how much of what the expression of their circumstances or frame of reference or experiences are true and how much of that is fabricated. Right. Cause you even, you and I even talk about like the, the difference between like you spoke badly about me to protect yourself and I spoke positively about you to protect you. You and I are not the mm-hmm. same. Right. So under that same kind of premise, how, how do you pick up on, on these things? Is it behavioral cues? Is it just like the gravity of something shouldn't should also correlate with the same emotion that I'm sensing? Like, is it just kind of the intangible aspects of the dialogue that you over time can kind of pick up on what what the underlying maybe truth or storytelling might be for the perception of yourself and the individual?
1: It's a little bit of all of it. But what's fun is, I don't know that you're going to love my actual answer. Um, Okay. (laughs) You know, uh, for sure, there's things that you're trying to pick up on. There's things that you're trying to like, look for the narrative. Where does it fit? What makes sense? What am I missing? You know, early on, one of my all-time favorite supervisors talked about that, that notion of like, well, if something doesn't make sense, you cannot presume that you know the truth we're not clairvoyant we're not like yeah but it is also okay to say i'm missing something like which just means there may be some details that are getting left out an example is i remember talking to somebody once who told me uh he came in and he basically told me uh oh it's been a crazy week and you know my his his wife or girlfriend had had kicked him out and he was like she tried to hit me in the head with a golf club and I was like, um, okay, like I had been seeing him for, I, don't, I can't remember how long, but it was like, this is a new development. Like we've never talked about anything like that. And I was trying to ask what happened. And he was like, well, I, you know, I told her I was going to be home and I came home late and I know that's an area, you know? And so, and I was like, okay, this doesn't make sense. Like you came home late and then she tried to hit you. And I was With like, a golf club?" right. All I knew is something doesn't make sense. Now, I can't pretend that I can fill it in. But so as I pressed and as I pushed, what I found out is uh, he came home three days late. So he went out and was like, I'll be home around 10. And he came home three days later. So that's not coming home late. That's disappearing for multiple (laughs) days, right? Not the same thing. Then we get into the fact that he had had some gambling issues and some substance abuse issues. And he had been in recovery and they had a lot of rules about what was or wasn't. So he disappeared, uh, used, and gambled. Mm. Drove home in the middle of the night, pulled up onto their front lawn and passed out in his car on their front lawn. She came out. He was passed out enough. She couldn't wake him up. Like he was breathing. He was like, but he was passed out asleep. She's banging on the window. She was like, okay, you know, he wakes up in the morning and goes, huh, oops, backs off the front lawn, parks in the driveway, and then enters the house as if nothing happened. So she's like, I was scared. I didn't know where you were. I told the police. I wasn't sure if you were missing. Yo, know, you show up, you drove intoxicated, like, and he basically was like, no, no, I didn't. And she's like, you were parked in the middle of the, the, the lawn. I was knocking on the door. like, And he's like, oh, you're exaggerating. Like, he started to make it out to be like... And so she lost it. And again, then I find out she did not try and hit him in the head with a golf club. She was <laughs> so mad, she picked up a golf club and hit the wall. Uh... You know, okay. Whole different story. So partially what we're talking about is the, can you pick up on if somebody's not telling you the truth or if somebody isn't even fully aware of their own truth? So yeah, there are times you will hear a narrative and you're going to be able to say, I'm missing something. Something doesn't make sense. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to, but something's missing, which means now you can't presume you know what it is. You're just trying to figure out, Hey, what am I missing? Which might also be something they're missing. The part I think you're not going to love is the question you were asking is essentially, how do you get to the core or real truth? And I would say over my experience, my career, the biggest thing is I've learned a lot of comfort with the fact that, um, who knows what the real truth is and we might never know and that we have to meet people where they're at and whatever their current reality is, is where you have to meet somebody. And they might not be aware of their own truth. They might not be aware of the full truth of an interaction or what happened, but their experience, the emotions, what they went through is real. And that's where you have to address it. And if you can help somebody start to realize, okay, maybe I'm not seeing it quite right, or help somebody realize what are the parts that they're assessing in a way that's actually maladaptive for their own life. well, you can help them recreate that or find a different path or find different awareness but it starts with a comfort in knowing that like there's a lot of things we just won't know core motivation what really happened what parts of our own lives or own experiences have impacted how we assess something there are a ton of things that we we exist with these like rule sets these internal beliefs of how the world works but there are so many we don't check with everybody You don't run by the like, okay, let me go through all of the assumptions I have about how the world works and see if my assumption and your assumption is the same, right? Because you just assume unless one is broken or changes, um, in the, in the trauma world. I can't remember if we talked about shattered assumptions.
0: No, but we can totally talk about it.
1: All right. So. Uh, it looks like you had another follow question, so I can hold off on mine. What, what were you going to say?
0: It's not necessarily a follow question. It's just these these are the things that I recognize within myself that get me frustrated, right? Because right, I cause want you, to know. Want to know? Yes, I, I do want to know because I think the hard part, and, and this is going to get more into maybe the, um, cultural ideas and things that we're challenging, is like there has to be something that is true right? All of our assumptions are based on fundamental truths, right? That's how we have math. It's not necessarily the most precise measurement we've ever calculated, but it's accurate enough that we can start to construct concepts on top of it, right? Using that as a foundation. And so like, this is also why I wrestle with God, right? Not that I don't believe in God because I do. And, you know, somebody asked me this the other day on my Q and a about, you know, my, my relationship with religion, if you will. And I crave so much, to be able to just be like, that was God. That is God. Like that fundamental exposure to truth, right? That it is real. It does exist. Right. And so like, that's where I wrestle with things. And the hardest acceptance that I have to come to is that I will not ever know certain things. Mm-hmm. And then it's accepting that, which is difficult because I think I was thinking about this last night. Like if you look at humans in our advancement, right? One of the questions that I have that I I still struggle with, but I've come to an acceptance of is like, when will it be enough, right? Is it ever enough? And I don't think fundamentally the way that we're wired it ever is because we're built for progression, whether we like it or not. That's why we're always innovating and creating things. That's why we've done that for thousands of years. And then we get into new problems, right? Because the more that you have access to things, you find other problems that you now can even conceptualize exist. And so the the railroad track never stops and so that's where it's difficult to then even conceptualize like what we know now to be true could also change with new evidence that's provided because we now are able to think about different things in society and as people than we were ever historically able to do and so i think on some level that's exciting and i think on one level it's problematic because a what a what i see and I could be perceiving this wrong, is that sometimes we, we get new evidence and the evidence that we now claim to be true sometimes dismantles previous belief systems and thoughts and evidence that we believed were true for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. Which then you get into this, this concept of most people, and I think this is where people go wrong, and you can challenge me here if this is inappropriate, what I see a lot of the times is that people will integrate a belief into their identity. And the moment that that belief is presented with an alternative truth, they don't know what they're fighting for. And then we start to shift the the goalpost of, of the definition of something so that we can still have the belief and then attack it at a broader scale. And I think that over it, just in general, I find that to be problematic. And so if we don't have truth, right, then, then everything is, left to your own perception, subjective experience of, of a thing, which then I also think is problematic because, so this is, this is where I, I worry. (laughs) I shouldn't be saying this, but I'm going to, because we we can talk about anything here. This is one of the things that I fundamentally worry about when it comes to therapy, because I I always want to lead with honesty and truth and and help people to the best of my capabilities and understanding of the world, because I know that I don't know anything and I accept that I never will. But there are certain things that I don't feel it's, it's appropriate to also lie to people, right? So if I know something to have enough evidence around it, to be fundamentally true, I don't want to be somebody that incentivizes poor behavior or poor beliefs that will do more destruction to the individual and, or their environment or people around them by just saying, you're right. You feel that way. And that's true because you feel that way. Even if I don't. Well, what's up team? I interrupt this broadcast to formally invite you to our live event in McKinney, Texas, Saturday, October 21st. If you are into health, fitness, and personal development, you are not going to want to miss this. We are going to have industry leading experts talking all about nutrition, health optimization, and understanding yourself because you deserve to be all that it is that you can be. So I hope to see you there. For more information, click the link below in the description. And now we'll get back into our episode.
1: All right. So sometimes I think when we put things in extremes, it can help. But when you say you worry about therapy, you mean like attending your own or, or in, in future scenarios of being available to somebody as a resource and a therapist. And basically what you're saying is I want to make sure – I'm helping somebody move in a positive direction or that I'm offering, you know, something of value. And how can I do that? If I don't know, if I don't know what the truth is, or I don't know if this is, guess what? We don't know. And sometimes. That's somewhat terrifying. But look at it. Of course it's terrifying. And I'm not trying to oversimplify, you know, our field or my, you know, but There are a few reasons that I think therapy can be of particular help, and it's not about saying the right thing. Honestly, it's the starting point is that we all filter our communication to some degree, to some extent, whatever totally unfiltered happens in the brain, we filter it so it doesn't come out exactly how it is in the brain. So that means everybody has kind of this spectrum of their like true, genuine self, true, genuine self, no, like all the way to full performance mode and wherever you are, if you're at work, you're going to be more towards the performance side. If you're, you know, if you're at home, hopefully you can be more towards the genuine. What we'll never know is what that gap is between what I believe my true, genuine self is and my full, honest, genuine, because I don't even know what filters are in place that I've had my whole life. So how would I know I even filter it? And so the problem is when you are talking to people in your life, I think we often filter for a couple different reasons, right? Like, so if 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 somebody asks me, hey, how you doing? If the real answer in that moment is today's the worst day of my life, I'm not gonna say that. Like for two different reasons, right? One, uh, because what if I wanna protect you? Mm-hmm. Because if there's nothing you can do about it, why would I offload that burden on you? Because now I tell you that there's this problem, but there's nothing you can do. So it's protective of other. I don't want to put you in a bad spot. But it's self-protective because what if I then go for a walk, take a shower, have something to eat, and I'm like, okay, I'm feeling a little bit better now. Now it's out there and I can't take it back. So if I'm sitting across the dinner table from somebody and they're looking at me going, are you okay? And I'm like, oh my God, barely, but I don't want to deal with that. So we tend to filter it. And when somebody asks, we say, Hey, you know, like, eh, it's been a rough day. It doesn't come out when you meet with a therapist, people don't have to worry when they tell me something that they're going to be sitting across the Thanksgiving table for me. And I'm going to be like, Hey, you hanging in. Okay. Cause remember three months ago when you told, they don't have to worry about that. So you don't have to filter as much. So a lot of what people are dealing with when they first come into therapy is how do I get some of those filters down? Some of these filters I'm doing automatically now that I'm here to try and get it out. So some of the first steps I'm working on is trying to just help people get to a point where they're like, Hey, how do you become aware of your filters? And just say it, just say what, stop trying to figure out the right way to say it. And, you know, I think being able to say like, well, I'm trying to help give somebody another perspective. I'm trying to help somebody work through it. I'm not trying to solve things for them. I'm not trying to like, the question is, do you have a safe space where you can talk about things without the potential risk of how that how that might hurt or injure? So the space itself is in some ways very helpful because people can show up and be honest. And that has a pretty big,
0: Benefit. I agree a million percent with with that concept, and I think that that's fundamentally true. But I think the hard part about it this is is a few things. One is if you're always filtered. Like I genuinely believe this, and you can correct me with your level of experience and intellect if it's totally wrong. (laughs) But I think that the mind is so malleable that we can convince it that anything is true, which is entirely on some level probably exciting for some people and on one level it's absolutely terrifying so if you're in a situation where because you filter yourself so much and like a lot of people will seek out personal development or self-help or whatever that is right but all of those different kind of philosophies around life have different belief systems that they're built and constructed upon and then if we don't allow us or if we don't feel safe enough to communicate transparently exactly what we think and how we feel without it being integrated as a piece of, as a piece of ourselves so that we're not internally judged based on the thoughts that we have, then I think that that makes it a dangerous landscape for people in general to be able to feel confident to express what it is that they think. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's where filtering yourself is a net negative.
1: Well, and yet culturally, societally, like, It's, there's some requirement of filter and sometimes it's necessary, right? Because like, think about it. If you're, you know, if you're in a work setting Mm -hmm. and you have somebody who like just asks the same question over and over again, you know, and for the sixth time in a week, they come up to you and say like, when are we supposed to have, have that meeting? If what goes through your, your head is, are you fucking kidding me? Like, do you work at all to figure this out? Do you think for even a, like, that's what goes through the head. Okay. Yeah. We have to filter that a little bit because you're in a work setting and it would be amazing if we all had this magnanimous, like, oh, I just want to help them in that moment, help them become a better and let them know that they're, but that's not reality because we're all a bunch of individuals all trying to deal with all this stuff. And if we have an underlying expectation that we will always be able to control our emotional reaction and that the peak of success is having complete awareness and right. But we're, but that's not, that's not realistic, right? That would be like saying, yep. If somebody steps on my toe, I need to get to a place where I can give them immediate forgiveness because I knew it was, it was an accident. And I, I shouldn't feel for even a second, a flash of rage. So uh but if you feel pain, you have an emotional reaction.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And yes, I think we way over filter. I think that we way overfilter. And honestly, a lot of the filters that we have aren't even based off of our own value system. It's based off of a value system that's kind of been overlaid or expected. That really sucks because that, if that's not your natural style, if that's not what comes, okay, well then no, that's not healthy. And now you're working to integrate a filter that somebody else has assigned. But in general, we're all dealing with a lot of, like, a lot of areas that you'll never really – you don't always know what your underlying education, learning, you know, like, until you run into – like, that's why a lot of people, when they leave home and they go to college, all of a sudden discover things that they thought were normal in everybody's household weren't normal. Mm -hmm. That's when people all of a sudden discover, like, wait, that everybody doesn't do it that way? You know, like – because why would you think otherwise? You know, so uh, you know. I, I, coming back to the notion of shattered assumptions, in part because you know, I feel like I said it, and then you know, there are going to be some people who like are going to be like, "But we never came back to it," and that's like torture. Bring it's it like full mean. circle, <laughs> right? But the whole concept of shattered assumptions is that we we exist with all of these internal beliefs about how the world works, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I flip a light switch, I expect that the light's going to turn on. First time that ever doesn't happen, there's a moment where you're like, huh, like something has gone wrong. And then you learn what are the things that could go wrong. But at our core, we all exist with these baseline assumptions about safety, about health, about well-being, about so if you ask a middle school kid if they understand why you have to wear a seatbelt, they know why. They understand it intellectually, they fully get cars are dangerous, you have to wear a seatbelt. But the reality is they're underlying core belief is that they're safe. They're safe. Their family's safe. Everybody they know is safe because they've never been in a car accident. They don't know anybody like, so they get it intellectually, but emotionally doesn't mean anything, which is why that parent has to repeatedly say, put your seatbelt on. I can't understand it. We've talked about this. You understand it. You can just, well, they can't remember to put their seatbelt on because they don't actually perceive danger. They're doing it because they've been told to. Until they come home from school one day and one of their parents is in a cast or they find out a grandparent was in a car accident. In that moment, it shatters this underlying core belief that cars are safe and that your family's safe.
0: So do you think- in that
1: moment- Oh, yeah. No,
0: regarding this, do you think that's why most people have to hit rock bottom before they are willing to do something different in order to change?
1: Sometimes. Because what happens, and you know, that's a great question, so we'll get there. I Yeah, it's perfect. So uh, what happens in that moment is that core belief is broken. And the way I see it is it's almost like if you're wearing a pair of glasses and it makes it so when you look around, you can see certain dangers, certain risks. In that, In a fraction of a second, somebody takes those glasses and gives you a new pair. And now the world is the same, but you can see dangers and risks you didn't see before they've always been there. Mm -hmm. You just couldn't see them. So now all of a sudden you're looking around and it can be very scary or overwhelming because you now have all of your memories are overwritten with this, like, I can see areas that there was risk and I didn't know it. So as an example, like one of the first things I remember, you know, my, my own experience was I grew up at a time where I actually remember when all of a sudden we had to start wearing bike helmets Nobody had bike helmets. And then one day, bicycle helmets became the biggest deal ever. Not helmets for skiing. I'll never understand that. Like I had to wear a bike helmet, but I wore like a fuzzy hat with a pom-pom on its top and hurled myself down a mountain, but no helmet there. Like that (laughs) didn't come to later. Like protect your brain on a bike, but not on a ski mount. But like, but separate from that, it's just, so I remember I was, we all did the same thing. You'd bike out of, out of view of your parents. You take your helmet off, hang it on your handlebars. Too cool to wear a helmet until a friend of mine, Went over backwards on his bike, hit his head, got a concussion. Totally fine. But I visit him at the hospital. And in that second, I was like, oh, okay, Uh, you know, (laughs) bikes are dangerous. I didn't see it before. But there's one part of where I used to, like, from my house to get to pretty much anywhere, there was this massive hill. Big downhill, big uphill. So we all did the same thing. We went down that hill as fast as humanly possible to get enough speed to go up the next hill. But at the bottom of the hill was a three-way intersection with stop sign. So we just blew right through that thing. And mind you, it was a three-way intersection. So the side that we were on was all houses and driveways, but it had never occurred to me that cars could come out of the driveways. Never occurred to me that when I'm going past cars, somebody making a left couldn't see me. All of a sudden, one, the next day I'm riding my bike and I was like, holy crap, this is dangerous. That's dangerous. This intersection, I didn't see it before and it changes your viewpoint. So with trauma, when something happens, especially bigger traumas, right? So getting back to some of what we've talked about before with relationships, if your core underlying belief is that a relation, relationships are positive and supportive and that like you can trust somebody and well, the second somebody violates that trust in any way, uh, your privacy, uh, verbally being, you know, abusive, physical abuse. It is a massive, that's not bike helmet shatter. That is shattering the assumption of, okay, I just learned that other people are dangerous. I just learned that my emotions, uh, are at risk. I just learned that, you know, things may not be what they see. And in a second, you're now wearing a different set of glasses that make you see dangers that you didn't see before. So now you're going to look back over past relationships and you're going to all of a sudden see every time you put yourself in a position where you were in danger and you didn't know it. And even though you might not have gotten hurt in that situation, even though all of a sudden it's this all at once, I am looking back over years and experiencing why my inability to see that danger meant I was in risky situations and I didn't even know it. So how could I have protected myself if I didn't even know it? And now moving forward, just because you see potential dangers doesn't mean everything's dangerous. Mm. But also when you have big shattered assumptions, the other thing you learn is what other dangers are there that I don't know? Because I didn't see this one until it got real bad. So what else am I missing? And what sucks is one, you can't shatter other people's assumptions. You can't do it, which is frustrating because you want to be able to go to somebody and say, Hey, I've seen some shit and I need, I don't want to, it sucks, but I need to shatter this assumption for you. And for other people, it's kind of like, nah, okay. Which is scary because you're like, well, do I want you to? Have the shatter assumption? No. Do I want you to live with this kind of awareness? No. But I also need you to be able to protect yourself. But until somebody experiences it, it's real hard to just say to somebody, just trust me. Let me give you this information. I mean, how many people have had someone in their life where they've said that to? Kind of a, will you do me a favor and trust me? Do this Do this as a favor. Like, and people will be like, okay, fine. But they don't actually understand why. And listen, lots of us have that, like, we hope that these assumptions never get shattered. Mm -hmm. It would be great if you go through life and, you know, with medical stuff, I, you know, I I mean, I I know we've talked about, I work with chronic pain. And so the number of people I've seen who most of our lives, what we're used to is medicine helps, right? I mean, the typical medical arc or treatment arc is onset of symptoms, diagnosis, treatment, resolution that's what we're used to. So there are a ton of people who just trust. Oh yeah. My doctor said, this is what we should do. That's what we should do until something goes wrong and a surgery doesn't go quite right. Or like, and all of a sudden they're like, wait a second. I wish I had taken the time to look into it. I wish I had taken the time to research it. I wish I like, but beforehand they couldn't shatter that assumption. They were just like, right, but everything's always been okay. Everything's always worked out. Until the surgery doesn't go well, and then you're like, "Oh, now I know moving forward." That, it, but that means if a friend calls and says, "Like, yeah, apparently I had something with my back, and like I have to have like back surgery," and you're like, "Well, what are you having done?" and they're like, nah, "I don't know," and you're like, "You you don't you don't know? Like a surgeon is going to touch your spine, and you don't know what they're doing? Well, if their whole life their experience has been like, yeah, well, they're the doctor. Why would I need to know? If the surgery goes well." The assumption isn't shattered they will go on believing like yep i had a problem the doctor told me what to do and it worked when it shatters now all of a sudden people are like well shit i wish i had known that i wish i'd seen it i wish i but you just can't you just can't shatter somebody else's assumption when that's been their life experience
0: okay so i have a lot of thoughts one is the framework that i've cultivated for myself And I'm sure that there's context to this in principle, but I find that it works most of the time, is that in order to rewire a belief, you have to give yourself evidence that there's an alternative truth. So when we talk about like belief shattering, for example, and I'll I'll use relationships because that's like the biggest thorn in my side, right? So Mm -hmm. I went through a phase after my previous, previous relationship about a decade ago now eight years, I didn't date anybody and I was very jaded. I just thought men were dangerous. I didn't think that, you know, love existed, that I was all kind of, you know, this made up game and and all these things and men were bad, right? From those experiences, that was the conclusion that I had made. Now, I lost hope for that. I became, I would say, very jaded about the concept of really true love and relationships and all that. And then the most recent person that I had Dated, um and while it ended less than optimally I would say it gave me hope because for the first time in a very long time I felt something that I hadn't felt before and so that gave me evidence that I because for a long time I was like you're just broken there was nobody that I had feelings for nobody that really piqued my interest I thought maybe I was just numb emotionally because I didn't feel anything for a very long time. And so then this, this person comes into my life and I feel everything like to the point it felt, it's almost like ecstasy, ecstasy. It was addicting. And so like in hindsight of that, I can say, okay, it's not me. Like I was never broken and maybe it was coping mechanisms. Maybe it was isolation due to fear of exposure and feeling anything. I don't know exactly, but that was what shifted my mind from something's wrong with me in hindsight of this to there's nothing necessarily wrong with you. But other than like my self selection of, of dating partners, I'd need to examine that obviously. But it wasn't like I had fundamentally been broken and love doesn't exist and I don't mm-hmm. have any emotions and I'm just this numb, cold-hearted bitch. Like I, I at least could restructure that concept in my mind. Um, and so on the same on the underlying thing, I think that that's probably one of many solutions regarding people's trauma. Because I think that post-trauma, you build a belief system due to a shattered belief system that you had to then give yourself protection over that thing happening again to you. And then only through an experience that is similar but not exact to a previous one that gives you a different experience, whether it's good or bad, can help shift and kind of clean up some of the unnecessary beliefs that have been stacked or created around the concept in which you've had shattered previously.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah, I mean, what you're talking about is having a corrective experience, but so let me ask you this, that person mm-hmm. that, that, you know, that you dated, that at least gave you some hope
0: mm-hmm.
1: when you guys met, w- was it, was it in the context of dating or did you meet outside of that? And it became a secondary
0: Yeah, so we met through business, Um, and then we just thought very similarly. Could had the same banter, enjoyed the same things, could talk about anything all the time. Like he just he and I very much connected, and I was drawn to that connection because I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. I'm understood, and that was what made me feel. How long did it take you
1: before you even put him in the category of a potential relationship? Hmm. <laughs> As opposed to a really good friend, somebody you wanted to hang out with, like kind of a drawn to because like, like I want to talk about, you know, this, like it's fun because we can banter about, you know, work, about this, about that. We can joke about, you know, right. There was a clear connection. Hmm. How long was it before you put that not in the category of like, I'm so excited to have made a new friend or I think we could be like really close or like I really look forward to like, and I'm not talking about how long did it take you to acknowledge that there was an attraction. Yeah. How long did it take for you to be like, oh, wait, dating is a possibility?
0: Um, what's funny is I think I actually have a date, but I would say under a month.
1: Okay, under a month. Yeah. But you're saying it took weeks I'm before saying- you even allowed yourself to see that as a possibility. Your initial your openness to it was because you weren't defending. Yeah. right. You met him in a professional capacity. Mm -hmm. And this is going to bring us to like another chat that like, it's very funny because um, you put up something recently and I, I I can't remember the specifics of it, but somebody had basically complimented you on how, uh, how confident you are. Yeah. And was saying like, is it so hard to live life that confident and like, how do people respond to it? Um, And it, it's, it, it's always one of those funny things when I'm like, Oh man, like I was literally like had, you know, I, I, I just <laughs> keep notes of like when I have ideas or things that I want to put up and I had put one up about confidence and I don't know if you saw it, but mm-hmm. I put something up yesterday, David. Yeah. I think maybe yesterday. I, I can't even remember, but um, you know, but basically all I was saying in it is that, you know, there is this like misnomer, this like, you know, like incorrect belief that confidence is a like unilateral universal state. Like you are either confident or you're not confident. And what I was basically saying is that like, that's just not accurate. Like people are confident in specific areas. It's not like you're a state of being, like you're not confident everywhere. People develop confidence in certain specific areas. That doesn't mean they don't have insecurities. It doesn't mean that they don't have vulnerabilities. And so Sometimes what happens is we very naturally, if there's areas that people feel confident, that's what they lead with. Why Mm. wouldn't you? right? If you get up on a stage in front of people, you're going to talk about the things that you feel confident discussing, that you feel passionate about. You're not going to get up there and be like, you know what? I think I would like to just present on things that make me feel insanely terrified to even talk about at home out loud with my best friend.
0: I'm going to do that now. People don't-
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I know you will. I like, but so what I was basically saying is if you want to compliment somebody, compliment them more specifically, don't just say like, Oh my God, your confidence is amazing. Say like, it's amazing how confident you are when you're presenting or when you're online or that you are so confident in putting this information out to such a wide audience. If it's somebody who's really, you know, loves to, to do art, to be like, Oh, I love how confident you are with your artwork. I love how, like, because if you make it more specific, and say, I'm so amazed by how confident you are with this specific topic, that individual is more likely to be able to accept that, that actual like praise or compliment, because it meets where they do feel a certain amount of like, you know, real understanding in an area or, you know, but when you just say to somebody, oh my God, like you are so confident. Everybody has their vulnerable spot. And when you just say that, most of the time it triggers for that individual a response of, uh, I don't actually want to accept the compliment because like, I'm not confident in every single area of my life and, life and every aspect of it. And so it feels weird because it's almost like it, that's when people will start feeling like they have like imposter syndrome where they're like, okay, like you only see one side of me and you think that's the entirety of it. And, you know, so What's interesting and the reason I go through that is because like uh, uh, when I saw your post I was like right it was just that people see you know the the part that you put forward the parts that you feel passionate about the part that you feel like hey even if I don't know it I'm willing to talk about it because this whole area I have enough comfort with it I'm also comfortable with the parts I don't know
0: mm-hmm.
1: because I don't find that threatening I actually find that exciting right people who really excel aren't the ones who want to convince everybody they're the absolute foremost expert in they're the people who are going to say like wait there's somebody who knows this other area I don't I can't wait to meet them they're not threatened by it cuz they're like oh my god more information more de- like i can't wait to meet the person who's even better
0: mm-hmm.
1: because like i just want to learn that's that's kind But that doesn't mean you have that in every single area of your life. And so people tend to lead with that strength. So we find the things we're confident in. That's what we lead with. So likely when you met him, you had not even engaged any of your safety protocol of protecting your kind of the emotion system because you met him in a setting where you were like, yeah, you want to talk? Let's talk. What do you do? I'm happy to tell you what I do. I mean, you want to talk about business and how we got here and what I did. What? That's all the areas where you feel really comfortable, which means you by accident were open to it because it wasn't in a romantic category or camp. If he had walked right up to you and said, hey, I know this is a little forward, but are you single? it would have been like being in a movie where all of a sudden you get like sucked all the way to the left (laughs) and you're like, and I'm in a totally different space. I felt great and I felt like confident and good about myself and I felt energized and I felt like on top of the world. And then in a second I felt like I was under a microscope. Okay. and
0: No, but this, this actually makes good sense to me. So one thing that I've tried that I have not had success with is even being on like a dating app. And it's because you already have the pressure of them imagining you being their girlfriend when you haven't even met them yet. And then you go on dates with people who assume that that's going to happen. And that's wildly uncomfortable. And, and obviously not for everybody because it, it works well for some, but for me, it's like, I don't enjoy that experience at all.
1: You may have to repeat, you cut out for a <sighs> tiny second. <Okay. laughs> and I'm so sorry. So you like, uh that's the worst it because you know you were saying okay so you go on the, you go on a date with somebody yeah. they're picturing how you would be as their partner yeah. and then you and then it literally like paused and i was like
0: oh, well no. because it so it puts you in this context of like they're already looking at you through that lens right so you mm-hmm. already have the pressure around like is she gonna be a good girlfriend and you know how people's imaginations are i see this all the time i don't work with as many as many men so i don't know if they this is true for them But I do know that women tend to paint and construct a story of an outcome of what the relationship will look like with this guy because he checks all these boxes and looks great over here before they've even sat down and had a conversation with them. And so what makes Mm -hmm. me uncomfortable about the whole experience is right from the moment that I engage with this individual, it's already with the expectation or hope, right? They have this idea that this will all work out. Now, I think it's good to have intentions, right? I don't think that's a bad thing. But what I find for me is it becomes wildly uncomfortable because like, I'll give you an example. I went on a date like a week and a half ago. I went to get pie with this guy. I was with him for two hours. And by the end of this conversation, he was telling me that he was going to stop talking to any other women and that he was focused on me and he wanted to pursue this. And I was like, I literally just met you two hours ago. Like that for me was so uncomfortable because I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't feel that way. I actually don't really know you at all. Like I don't, feel comfortable just like trying to make this thing. But I see often, at least in my own experience, that's what happens. So for me, it's just a wild turnoff because either you've painted a picture of me in your own mind based on the way that I look, right? And the things that you like about that, right? And then maybe we sat down and we had a conversation that you found value in. And so you're attracted to that too, but those are still only pieces of me. And so like to, Mm -hmm. to construct an entire relationship Foundation on two hours of conversation. Like that to me is just like absolutely wild. And I don't, that's why I stopped doing it. Cause I'm like, I don't, I don't know that that feels natural for me in building any sort of lifelong relationship with someone who, you know, but it's not a bad thing. Cause people do find success with it. So I don't want it to be like, oh, you shouldn't use them. Cause some people do really well with that context and with that expectation. From from both of these sides,
1: absolutely. But the part that I think is going to be interesting, and in that you know, is that it's not easy to meet people. Uh, there are different phases in life where it's it, where like your life, your life, or the people around you, it's much smaller. It's like a microcosm, so you don't have as much choice. But also, like when you're in school, when you're in high school, when you're in college. There's no sign on for like these two people before really getting to know each other, have to make a decision to go out for the purpose of no, in college, in high school, in you're hanging out with a group. You might like somebody and you could wait as long as you want, if ever, to say, like, when do we make that subtle change or subtle leap? to maybe we hang out without the group or maybe we hang out with the group, but a little bit more. So it's easier to meet people a little bit more organically where you can say, well, we're in the same social group. We're in the same social circle. I'm thinking about it, but we don't have to actually overtly put that out there yet. Once you get out of that setting, meeting new people is not easy. It's not, you're either going to meet people at work. You meet people through a friend group. You meet like, or it turns into blind dating. And the nice thing about online dating is like, well, if you think about it, if you walk into a bar, online dating would be like if you could pause and say, "Okay, well, I'm only interested in women or I'm only interested in men." And then all of a sudden, you know, whatever gender you're not in, like through the roof, they're gone. And then you're like, "Okay, now you restrict by age, by this, by that, like smoking preference, political pre- like And all of a sudden in a bar that could have, you know, four or 500 people in it, it could be that there's only six in the entire bar that even meet the basic technical criteria. That doesn't mean that you even like them or have an interest in talking to them ever, right? Then you have to ask the like, am I even attracted to them? That could eliminate another four. So now you're in a bar with hundreds of people in hopes of coming across two just to see if that's even viable. So the nice thing about online dating is that you can do all of those steps first. The downside is, yeah, it's very intense socially to sit down with a total stranger and be like, we are here for the purposes of determining if based off of criteria and physical appearance, if we're actually a match and actually like each other. (laughs) Like That's not a lot of pressure. Like, come on. Like, and people are like, I don't know why I just can't be comfortable on a blind date. You're meeting a complete stranger.
0: Yeah. Okay. But I do have a, I do have kind of a pushback on some of those ideas. So you talk about one of the good things about dating apps is that you can filter it. Right. And like, I think on, like in a broader spectrum saying like, you know, who you're sexually attracted to matters. So yes, that should be a part of the landscape. But I think that like, kind of like you mentioned last time, right? You can have people that check seven out of 10 boxes, but it doesn't, there's nothing there, right? And I've had that experience. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And then you meet somebody that might check three, but like, for whatever reason, they're like it. And so I think sometimes the problem with the, the screening process of who would I just go on a date with, you know, who would I not mind spending some time with? Oftentimes it doesn't doesn't necessarily lead to the outcome that you would expect it to, right? And I think that's where a lot of the disappointment comes. Yeah, what if you're
1: picking wrong? Yeah, and right, for me, that like I can back to your initial point of truth, <laughs> truth, reality, core. Like what you're saying is like right. What if I don't know my core truth, and so I keep clicking all the same filter buttons because I think that's who I'm looking for? And what if I'm totally
0: wrong? But the other thing that I find right, fascinating like, too is like, you brought this up previously, one time we were talking and you're like, how many guys have you had in your life that you, that are your friend and you've put them in the friend bucket that may have potentially actually mm-hmm. had desire for you. One thing that I found that's very interesting is like, of the people that would fall under that category, there are okay, like one or two that I've built feelings Incorrect. for over There's time. probably
1: dozens, but. Yeah.
0: That I have personally developed feelings for, but it was over a very long period of time. Like, they weren't people that I would have physically been attracted to from the beginning. And certainly if they were on an app, I would have never selected them. Like, the guy that I previously dated or the guy before him. Like, I would have never seen them on an app and been like, yeah, I'm going to love that guy. Like, so there's, there is that, like, disconnect of sometimes you you take something at face value and you miss all of the magic that underlies it. Like, all that it is outside of how it appears to be. And so for me, like, that's one of the things that I'm like, I find, I don't even know my type because like, like I said, it's, it's the people that I would have, that I have previously fallen for, and they might have some similarities, but nothing that I would have screened for on an app. And then the guys that end up going with dates on in this app under these screening frames are also just not people that I, I feel connected to. And so therein lies the problem. It's like... How can I self-select well, in a way that is good for me? Right. So learning from my past and looking at the things that I chose to overlook, right, and really spending some time thinking it through, and also like, I don't, I don't know the answer, and that's why people are always like, "Well, it will come when you least expect it," and I'm like, "Okay, well."
1: Oh, every people time. love to say stuff. I like hate, that, and, I, and I need to know if
0: that's even true like, because the times that I've had relationships, they were absolutely not expected, but they also rocked my world upside down in ways that I wish I didn't know. So that's where it's, I've become, and I can see that sometimes I look at relationships through a pessimistic lens and I try very hard not to do that. But I also know that some of my belief systems around that due to my own experiences and choices, even though you say I shouldn't blame myself, I do give me that, give me that perception of.
1: I, of, I yeah. hear what you're saying. And I think the challenge in some ways is that What you're saying is that you really want to nail the algorithm that's like a great, I finally found a path into like, this is what I need and want and is good for me and is good for them. And it like, but a couple things I think are interesting. One, your baseline perception that when people go on a blind date, they're thinking that person's assessing, am I going to be a good partner? Like typically they're not really worried about that part, right? Like, so when you sit down, you're thinking, how does this person see me as a partner? Most people are just assessing the person across from them. Are they a good partner for me?
0: I agree with you, but I also think that a lot of people do construct these like stories oh, in their mind.
1: build narratives. Yeah. And that's it's what I'm getting a, at. A friend of mine. And I think that's what makes it who- uncomfortable. A friend of mine who was like, what I would say is good at online dating when, you know, back in the online dating days, you know, for he and I, like, um, one of the things I was really impressed by is, uh, if he spoke to somebody, met, interacted with somebody he was interested in, he wanted as little time as humanly possible between that first interaction and meeting. Because the longer you went, the more phone calls, the more emails, the more texts, like, That all gives more room to build this narrative, which increases the possibility of real disappointment or being thrown off when you're like, that's not what I expected. So he moved towards saying, if I interact with somebody and based on their profile, what they wrote, their appearance, like similarities, like, and a couple exchanges that I'm interested, he would go immediately to like, hey, like, can you meet up tomorrow for coffee? Not dinner, not a big Friday night, not a big like – and he was like, because if if it takes a month, I'm going to have developed this whole different internal picture, which means I'm either going to be caught off guard, surprised, confused, disappointed, you know, like – so he stopped doing that because he was like, I, if I'm interested, we should get together, have coffee, chat, like – and because of him, when I was online dating, I got to a point where I was like, right, every time I was turning it into this like big date experience and dinner and drinks and like, which is a lot of like emotional output, you know? And so after like talking to him, I changed that. And I would literally, I was in grad school at the time and I'd be like, all right, well, you know, <laughs> meet, meet, me, uh, meet me in this area in Boston Common we'll go for a walk. And it was like, great let's not wait. Like we would meet, we'd go for a walk. At the end of the walk, there was a coffee shop. And I was like, if it was going well, I'd be like, you want to grab coffee? Or then we would schedule a second time. And I found I was less stressed and less disappointed because I hadn't built up this whole long image, you know, of what, what it could be like. Um, But in general, in some ways, what you're saying is the second you go on an organized date, your defense system's up which means it's going to be harder for them to get to know you. You're going to be able to get to know them because that's your default. Your default defense mechanism is like, great, I will get to know them. They will have a great time, you know, like, like interpersonally, like, you know, but if you leave a date and you're like, right, there was conversation. We talked about a lot. It's not for me. Likely that person is going to leave going. That was amazing. We never like we, we endless talking and it was so fun and there was, Cause they have no idea that you were just like, okay, not for me. So let's make this like a, like you've moved them into a, like I can have a nice conversation with anybody. It's fun to meet somebody and like, but no, which is means you're going to be more yourself because you're now like, yep, that's a no. It means when you meet somebody in a professional setting, it's a whole different, it's, it's not a, these are the walls I put up that can get knocked down. It's like, oh, this is like a wall I put up that is like invincible you're not even thinking about dating. You're not even thinking about like, which means they are going to get to know you because now you're not, because you're not thinking about the romance part of it. You're not, but it also means you've probably had God knows how many conversations with people who were like (laughs) pre-flirting to figure out if it was even humanly possible. And you were like, oh, after I gave that presentation, I talked to like six or seven really nice people. Five of them could have been like, oh my God, I'm going to go talk to her. And I'm super nervous. And I don't even know if it would be humanly possible that she would ever talk to me again. But like, and the most that they could do is be like, oh yeah, sometimes I'm in town. And you're like, oh, that's awesome. And they're like, okay, so she doesn't. So there are probably people who've walked away from conversations with you thinking that like they, they questioned as much as they could. And you made it clear that it wasn't going to happen. Their narrative is like, okay, that's my goal. And that you were like, oh, they just wanted to come chat with me and they were excited about this one thing. And I also love that part of the presentation and it's so cool. And so likely when you say like there've been a couple people, like, I mean this in the nicest of ways, but you're wrong. (laughs) There's been way more people than you could imagine, you know? And likely what it means is if you want to start meeting somebody that's more likely, it's trying to figure out a way to be open to it in areas other than a forced situation dating and realize, right. So the one person that you felt like it was even a possibility of feeling connected to or excited about was because when you first met, that wasn't even on your mind.
0: That is profound. That's what allowed it to
1: happen. That's what allowed you to feel even that amount of open to it.
0: And I think that that's absolutely profound. Like I've never thought about it that way because I've questioned this a lot because again, like, but if I think back to every person that I've I've got emotional attraction or feelings for, it started off as something that ha- could have that was never the forefront of the connection in the first place, and so like that's right, very interesting. It was more like a common mission to do something that we were both very interested in doing
1: to get to meet them, to know them, to like them, to even want to be able to spend time or hang out. But none of that is in a romantic context, which means you are able to get to know them. And it means they are able to get to know you because no part of you is thinking like, okay, after we have this business lunch, are you thinking that we're going to hug? Are, are you thinking that like we should go hang out at my apartment? Are you, You're not thinking about any of that because in your mind, you're like, cool business lunch, and then I'm going to go back to work.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that person may finish the lunch being like, okay, cool. Like she's awesome. And we get along well and like, it's not going to happen. That's okay. Like, and now I'm excited to be friends and I'm excited. but it, they might be thinking about it. And all the signals they're getting are kind of a like, yeah, 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 I'm so comfortable in our interaction because there's zero romantic thought in any way, shape or form, but they're going to pick up on both of those, which means you may never know unless it's somebody that is in your life for a while Without, until a moment happens where you're going to go, oh, I've actually gotten to know them. I actually like them. I actually trust them. And then when something shifts and you're like, wait a second, my guess is every time you've been like, what? Like, where did that come from? Kind of a, oh my God. And then you're going to get tense and nervous and be like, "Uh, I, I don't even know. I don't even know because I hadn't thought about it. I hadn't considered it. And then- when those defenses come in, you're going to be like, but what we've been talking about is working together. And if we're thinking about a working thing, or if we want to collaborate, like, I just don't know that I want to mix that. And you're going to immediately start debating whether or not that's even feasible or whether or not it's like not a good idea because you're, so you weren't aware of it, which allowed you get to know them. And then the second you become aware of it, all those walls and defenses are going to come up again.
0: This is like, really interesting to me because now I'm trying to like understand myself and like on a deeper level. But one thing that I find really interesting that I don't necessarily understand and it, it confuses me. Like I get confused by myself is like, for example, if, if I were talking to somebody and I, I express maybe an opportunity for us to build some type of relationship. It doesn't even matter necessarily the the type of relationship there as soon as I express that thing, I immediately regret it. Like, I mean like mm-hmm. gut wrenching, I hope they just deny me because then I won't feel bad about now feeling like I've opened this door and I might have to commit to that thing. Like it genuinely, it, it gives me such an adrenaline rush. I'm like, I don't like it. Even if I, even if it, it, when I intentionally said it, I meant it. It's like, as soon as you say the thing, I I immediately like freak out. Like, I'm like, I hope they just say no. Like I hope they they don't take me up on that
1: but when Mm -hmm. i first
0: went to go say it i actually genuinely meant it like i was super open to it and they haven't even responded yet i don't even know what they're gonna say but like i just immediately am like um no run bad idea please say no just ignore ignore what i said like maybe they'll just miss that one like i don't know it's so weird but,
1: but imagine if the person you're saying that to had already thought about it but when you first met And they were thinking about it and were curious and then they basically were like, okay, it's been made clear that that's not what this is and I'm happy to have a good friend and I'm happy to have somebody. And like, yeah, sure, I was curious and I was hoping there would be a connection, but if not, that's okay. Well, if three months later, you're like, hey, here's something I've been thinking, they're going to be totally caught off guard because they probably were thinking that same thing three months ago. And it might have even taken them a month and a half of like kind of hoping and thinking about it and every time you got together being like, should we, or like, you know, should I say, and then ultimately went, okay, that's not what it is. So it might take that person a little while to get back because they had no clue that it was possible because they already moved on to the like, yep. big Because I think sometimes you don't, you don't give yourself credit for the fact that I would bet That when you put that out there, you see yourself as being in that like, okay, I hope they accept this offer. As opposed to realizing that likely that person may have gotten it and been like, holy shit. And now they're scared out of their mind because they see you as the intimidating out of their league. like, right? What occurs to you is kind of the like, uh, are they like open to like trying with this? Like, and I know I'm not like going to offer this and I know I'm not awesome in this area and I know... And they're going like, what? I uh, uh, Like, how do, you, how do you date a celebrity? I don't like, I don't really like, <laughs> I, like you know.
0: But I, I, I do agree on some level with what you're saying. But, okay, I'm going to tell you a truth that I wish wasn't true, but it is true. So I told you a little bit about a series of emails that I received from that person. And then I received a follow-up one recently. And now I sat there and I was like, do I engage with this or not? And I did now. As soon as I replied, that's when I was like, please don't respond. Oh my God, this was a horrible mistake. Like, I don't want you to think the door's open because I don't think the door's open and I'm not sure it's good for me to keep that door open, right? But it was like a lapse in judgment and a little bit of empathy of like, I feel really bad for this person, but also like, and then I was you terrified. Bad for them
1: that you put out the idea of hanging out more socially or romantically.
0: I felt bad. Because, well, their perception of the entire relationship that we had is very different from the reality in which I experienced.
1: And so. Oh, you're talking about the, the yeah. past one, mm-hmm. not a new Okay. Yeah, not sorry. a new one. I, I, yeah,
0: no, not a new one.
1: I, well, that's a whole different, like, but that perspective is. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, you don't want to look back towards relationships that weren't what you want. Yeah. You don't want to look back towards relationships where you're like, uh, yeah, it turns out it wasn't a good fit or it wasn't a like, you don't want that to be your barometer. Like it's really more trying to look at it and say, right. So if for you, it's better to be able to get to know somebody over time, then the catch 22 you're in is kind of a, well, then the best way for me to get to know somebody is if it's not even on my mind. Mm -hmm. So how do I consciously start looking for opportunities to meet people like where I'm not even thinking about it in hopes that I think about it later. Uh, that's that's an impossibility because the second you say, okay, I want to be more open to meeting people in a professional setting. I want to be more open to meet it. Like, well, then you could go to a conference that you've been looking forward to. And if you even think for a second, you know what? I want to be more open to the people I meet here. Maybe there's somebody of value. You're going to go to like registration and be nervous and freaked out because like the first person who checks you in could be outside of your age range, not somebody you're interested in, but like, and you're gonna be like, oh my God, like, is that somebody who's actually hit it? Like, which means then you're gonna shut it down and be like, nope, this conference is about learning, meeting people, because that's where you feel more comfortable. This is why a lot of people, when online dating doesn't work for them, where or how they meet people is either being set up, you know, kind of a like, at least there's some connection. Or people are like, I need to start doing more things in my free time that are activities or things I like. You know, I need to join like a, a softball, like, or a slow pitch softball league because then if I don't like anybody, who cares? I'm doing something I like. Oh, I'm going to join this like group or this cl- like, because it's like, I'm going to do something I'm excited for and I enjoy. And hopefully that will at- attract other people who at least I know have a similar interest and maybe, or maybe not one of them will be, you know, of interest. And if not, who cares? I've done this thing that I enjoy. And then it's not wasted time. It's not donated time. It's not. But I think ultimately, if what you're excited for is to try and make some of those connections, yeah, you're going to have to address some of the fear that comes with opening yourself up to that possibility. You know, and either figuring out a different way to approach online dating or figure out a different way to just be more open to the idea that there could be options in lots of other areas of your life. Okay. I mean, I would bet money. I would bet money that, that the, well, it depends. Do you work out at home or do you like actually go to a, a gym or facility? I go to a gym. I would bet money there are multiple people at that gym who are interested in you or have a crush on you or like have only spoken to you once and like tell other people about you and like bet money. I, would... <laughs> I
0: don't know. I don't know. Um, but what I will say is this. I know that for me, it's like twofold really. My biggest fear is making the wrong choice because I think underlying that is a fundamental truth around this area of my life is I don't know that I actually trust myself to make the right decision. And I think that's highly problematic because if my gut says one thing, my head says another thing. And if my head says one thing, my gut says another. Right. And so I feel as though I'm always trying to, I'm trying to protect myself, but I'm, I also know that I don't want to, I no, I don't want to not have that experience. Like that would, that would be very heartbreaking for me. Like, long down the road when I'm I like 50, you. that would totally suck.
1: No, so I hear what you're saying. I'm
0: trying to grasp like, what is the solution? Cause one, if they're always opposing one another, then how do you know which is right? And I think that's where the struggle comes is like, if I have an emotional pull this to do something, such a
1: good, like you've pulled the whole thing together beautifully. Um, right. Because it comes back to this note notion of right or wrong. What was the right choice? What was the truth? Which one is right? My intellect or my emotion? It's not a right or wrong. When you're making these choices, if you see them as one big choice, that gets debilitating. That can actually like paralyze decision-making as opposed to a series of small choices. If you're talking to somebody and they want to go out, you're not deciding, is this the relationship for me? That is one huge decision. When you see it that way, agreeing to a date feels like this big choice. When you see it as a whole bunch of little choices that you can change your mind on at any time, then all you're really assessing is, do I want to go out on a date? That's it. This is not some massive choice about, have I met the one for me? Is this going to end in heartbreak? Is this going to be like all you have to ask yourself is, was I interested enough that like, I'm happy to go grab coffee or I'm happy to go for a walk or I'm happy to grab a bite to eat. That's the only question you're asking yourself. Not a, how is this relationship going to be six months from now, eight months from now, a year? Is it the right choice? All you have to do is break it down into these small choices because when you see it as a big choice, all of a sudden, every choice has too much weight. And then if you're like, well, if I don't know if I'm right or wrong, then the choice has to be like, nope, not worth it. But that means that like, if you're walking around your city, looking at everybody as like, is that the right relationship or the wrong relationship? Think about how you approach business. If you approached every new idea, every new concept, every new, like, I want to try that as, is it the right or wrong decision?
0: The answer is, I don't don't know yet.
1: I shouldn't... (laughs) I shouldn't do it. The answer is, I don't know yet. right? The people I know who have really succeeded in a lot of areas are the ones who are willing to say, I don't know, but I want to try it. I'm not going to be afraid to fail. I'm not going to be afraid to be like, oh, I tried it. Hmm, It didn't go as I expected. Now, the people who get themselves in trouble are the ones who say, I wanted to try it. And because I decided to try it, I've made the choice. So now I have to stick with it. And if it's not going well, I have to try and fix it. And then I have to try and change it. And then I have to try and alter it because I decided I'm going to try and add this to my business model. And then they just drive it all the way until it crashes. That's like when people decide a relationship is, yep, I'm in it. So no matter what, because I decided I'm going to try it out, I'm not allowed to assess new data and make a different choice. If you try something, And it doesn't go well. You have the ability to say, all right, I'm really glad I tried that. I really liked the idea. It didn't work. That doesn't mean I have to fix it. It means I have to say like, okay, great. I'm glad I took a shot and I tried it. Some are going to work. Some aren't. And when something doesn't work, you see it as a learning opportunity. Dating's the same.
0: So I would agree If you want to go on a date
1: with somebody, it's just you're checking it out to see, do I want to explore this?
0: Okay. So... Fundamentally, I do agree with that because that is most of how I think about most things. But so maybe this is like a belief shattering thing because I used to feel the same way about dating, okay? Until the most per- recent person that I met, okay, one of the biggest arguments we ever had was around the fact that in his mind, we were together from the moment that we met. In my mind, we weren't together until we had a conversation about us being together. And so one of his big things for me was like, I was with you and I was about you from day one and you were out here still talking to people, still following these guys, still communicating. Like, that's so disrespectful to me. Like, why couldn't you have been all in? Like you're a lie. like all of these things. Because we, and so for me, it's like that burned. Cause I was like, he really takes this seriously and maybe I should. And if I don't take it seriously enough, then, you know, what does that say about me? Right. And so for me, it was it's it's more of like that experience changed my perspective on because it's it made it sound like it was my fault. Like I was doing these horrible, bad, terrible things by following guys on Instagram or having guys as friends or like I wasn't even dating anybody else. Like none of that was even happening. But it was the fact that I was engaging with other men being in an industry that is run by men. Like obviously that's going to happen. But he didn't see it that way. And so everything from that point forward quite literally fell apart and it was all my fault. And that's okay. where it's like, and I struggle with the idea of, I don't have to put, I don't have to take this seriously until I'm serious about taking it seriously. But then at the same time, it's like, there's also another person's perceptions that I need to right, at least Their be-
1: perception doesn't become fact. You don't like, so if what you're saying is that interaction fundamentally adjusted or changed how you see relationships. What you're saying is this one other person had a different perspective, which is if we're go from day one, if he was go from day one that you have to be, Yeah. okay, that's his perspective. But that doesn't mean his perspective is right. It means you shouldn't date somebody who thinks without having a conversation about it, it's go from day one. That's their view. And if that's what they want, they have to express that. And you can say, Hey, that doesn't work for me or that, but you don't have to tweak it or change it to be there. Cause what if you met somebody who said, Oh, my perception is that for the entirety of the time we're together, it's an open relationship. You didn't know that. Do you have to be like, Oh, right. I guess I didn't. So now I have to assume any relationship I'm in is an open relationship forever. No. Cause that's their view and it's their job or responsibility to express their need and want and what, and then you have the opportunity to express what you need and want. And if it's not a match, it's not a match, but that doesn't mean your approach was wrong just because he said, Nope, I was fully in from day one and you weren't. Okay. But let's say for a second, that's totally true. That he was in from day one and you weren't. You haven't done anything wrong since when Do you have to be in from day one because somebody else is? That's this like kind of false belief that everybody falls in love at the same pace.
0: Well, That that the first time
1: somebody says I love you, that the other person is going to be like, oh my God, magically, I also felt that at the same time. It's just not true. And people get stressed out when they're like, "Uh uh-oh, I think this person likes me more than I like them or they're on a faster track than I am. The only thing that's important there is that the two people can talk about it, recognize that like, that's okay. And like, I just, that is my whole, you know, kind of physiology and emotional system doesn't allow me to go at that pace. I'm not upset that you're at that pace. And I hope you're not upset that it, I can't get there at that pace. It's just not how it works for me. So I'm excited, but for a lot of people, they have trouble being in a relationship when the, basically, like, the emotional buy-in appears to be not weighted correctly. Kind of a, like, "Uh uh-oh, it's not even. Well, it's never going to be even. Like, Okay. And there's not a problem with that unless there's a problem with that. But that's about both of you, not one person's right and one's wrong, or one has to, you know – And if anybody has to like accommodate or like, honestly, it's kind of that like I'm blanking on the phrase, but like if somebody else is further along emotionally and you are not, if anybody has to adjust or compromise, it's got to be the person who's further along to say like, well, hey, I get it. I know where you're at. And if I'm interested in this, I understand. I'm going to have to slow my pace to where you are. And I hope you're comfortable with the fact that like I do want that. And I see a vision and I am further down, but that's okay. It's not about you matching their pace, right? That's that, that would literally be like, if you are like running a road race with somebody and you're like, well, we want to run together. Okay. Well, I'm much faster. Well, then you're supposed to hurt yourself to like pick up the pace and run their pace. If that's not how your system works, then guess what? It won't work you won't make it to the end of the race. Eventually you're going to basically be like, I'm out. I can't do it. Right. If they want to be together and they want to run together and they have like, they can either say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we're in this together. And like, but if they want to be running with, you can say, Hey, I can try and increase my pace a little bit, but not really. If that's what I'm capable of, that's what I'm capable of. And that might mean you have to run a slower race than you normally would. So we can run it together. Why would you have to hurt yourself to try and match somebody else's pace if it's way faster than you're comfortable with? And if they say, but I don't want to run slower. That's not what I want. I want to do this, this 10K at a sprint. And you're like, yeah, I can't do that. Okay. Well, then the relationship might not work. It doesn't mean you have to be like, okay, well, then I guess I'm going to have to train for a sprint. Nope. Their pace and your pace do not have to be the same.
0: Okay, I'll leave you with this because I think I understand this or at least myself a little bit differently. I think because I care so much about the truth and because I care so much about doing things quote unquote the right way that I'm willing to dismantle things that I find to be best practices for me if it allows me to do something That is seen as the right way or closer to the truth. And so, and the person that I was with, he was very intelligent, very well articulated and very convicted in what he believed. Mm -hmm. And that I think is a big reason why I internalized the feedback that he gave me because from his perspective, that was the best way that was based on truth of what is the best approach for this outcome. And I fucked it up. What he said to me that day was like, I had the car and I was driving it and I ran it right into a a wall and like blew everything up, like dismantled the whole thing on my own.
1: And I, and I know, and I know I kind of said something similar last time, but like, I I don't like, I don't really, I don't give a shit about his, his, like, he thinks you drove it into, and it's like, actually, so let's say you did, let's say you were like, yeah, I was so sick of being in the car with you. I drove it right off the road into a tree (laughs) because I needed to get the fuck out of the car. And you were telling me I was only allowed on the highway if I did 90 and that makes me uncomfortable. So I pulled off the side of the road and I got out, right? That's as if what you're saying, and if we're going to use this running analogy, which actually works fairly well, what you're saying is, Hey, I've run a lot of races, you know, in my life. And I know I could do a faster pace, but multiple times I was doing a pace I thought I could handle. And I ended up getting hurt when I didn't expect it. So. As a result, you've learned, I'm always going to run a little bit of a slower pace because I don't want to run the risk of getting hurt, right? So he showed up and basically said, I think you're running this race. I get that you can't run at the pace I want to run it, but I think you're running it way slower than you're capable of and that you can do it faster, but you're just scared. Okay. But what he's saying is he's comfortable with the fact that like you may be right or he may be right. And if you're right, all right, so you tried to run it faster and you got hurt. He's telling you he's comfortable with that risk. He doesn't have that. that like That's not his right. He doesn't have that say. And if you're like, hey, you may be right. It might be that I could run this race a little bit faster. I may be able to run it much faster. And maybe I could run it faster and not get hurt. But... I don't want to do it that way because I don't want to run the risk of getting hurt. I mean, obviously there's always a risk of getting hurt, you know, in some way, even if you run it at a slow pace, but you said, here's the pace I'm comfortable with. And he said, that's bullshit. And I say, that's bullshit. (laughs) If he wants to sprint, he doesn't have a right to be like sprint beside me. And if you're like, Hey, you know what? The last time I ran a race, I got really hurt. And then I was out of commission for a long time. And so, yep, my fastest time was like a sub six minute mile on a 10K. I'm going to do this one at an average of a nine minute mile. And he's saying, that's ridiculous. You should at least do a seven. And you're like, yeah, but if I'm doing a seven minute mile, that scares me because I'm more likely to get hurt. And he's like, I don't care. Because you're capable of running the same pace that I am. And you're like, I may be capable but I could get really hurt and I'm not interested in that. And now he's saying like, well, you really fucked this up because you weren't willing to just run it at a faster pace. I, I came out of the gate at a six minute mile and you came out of the gate at a 10 minute mile. And that's bullshit. According to who? And I think a healthy, good relationship. If you say, Hey, listen, I'm really sorry, but the first three miles of this race, I can do slow real slow. And if somebody says no, okay, then let them run the race with somebody else. It's not your, that's not your person.
0: Okay. Josh, thank you so much for your time today. I do appreciate you. There was very enlightening moments today that I'll have to ruminate on, but thank you so much. (laughs) um, And I will talk to you very soon. All right. We'll talk soon.